Hey, future doctors. Thanks for joining me on Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Ria Mulherker. I'm currently a medicine intern in Philadelphia, and I will be your host today. It's been a while since I published an episode of Spoonful of Sugar, um, and so I wanted to start off by giving you guys some background. If this is your first time tuning into Spoonful of Sugar, this is a podcast that I originally started in 2019 as a rising fourth-year medical student. At that time, I wanted to create a podcast um, that was meant to review a different medical topic with each episode, kind of in a Q&A format, something that's fun, easy to listen to, um, and really review topics as they are tested at the level of USMLE Step 1. And my intention was for medical students, not just myself, but any medical student who was interested, who had taken step one, to kind of record episodes and pass forward their knowledge, their special test tips, mnemonics, whatever, um, and kind of just review step one material in a fun, easy way. Um, I think I released about 20 episodes uh, initially, and I did have a chance to work with some of my medical school colleagues who released episodes in their future specialties as well. Um, And then once I started intern year, I kind of took a break. And for most of 2020, I haven't actually released an episode. Now, at this time, I do want to come back to the podcast um, because even as I haven't been releasing episodes, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback um, on the various through comment sections on various platforms that the podcast is available. Um, And so I think that people do find it useful and I would like to continue reviewing topics the same way that I have been. Uh, But my intention for this podcast moving forward is really for it to be carried by medical students, third and fourth year students from MD and DO programs who have taken and succeeded upon um, the USMLE Step 1 exam. So if you are listening as a third or fourth year medical student and you're interested in recording an episode, um, trying something new out and, you know, passing forward your knowledge on topics that you're good at and interested in recording, Um, please let me know. You can reach out to me through the website, uh, spoonfulofsugar.org. And um, there's a contact page with a little message box. So if you are interested, I'm very, you know, hopeful that third and fourth year medical students will want to participate in this. Um, And so this is kind of a chance to, to try something new, record an episode and, you know, help out other medical students. In the meantime, though, I do want to continue passing forward knowledge and continue reviewing topics in a way that I hope is helpful for people. And so in today's episode, we will be talking about leukemia. Now, I say this in all my videos, but as I'm going through the material, I will be asking a lot of questions and taking a lot of pauses. And those pauses are really meant for the audience to participate actively and try and come up with the response to the questions I'm asking. Now, if you don't know the answer, absolutely no pressure, but this is meant to be a review and really just meant to kind of jog your memory and help you recall some of the concepts um, as you try and review them. Um, At the end, there will be a rapid fire section where I go through some of the major concepts from the podcast episode and ask them in a quicker format. Um, So again, take that time to actively participate and actively try and answer the questions that I'm asking because I think that will be very, very helpful. With that, let us get started. So leukemia is a topic which in practice, if you go into hemonc, is very, very complicated. But for the purposes of step one, you really need to just know some key 
like key trends and key associations for each different type of leukemia. So in this episode, we're going to review the four types of leukemia and kind of the classic associations in which they are tested. Before we get started, though, let's just kind of review what is leukemia. So leukemia is a cancer of the white blood cells or the leukocytes, hence the name leukemia. And cancer is just unregulated growth of any type of cell. So leukemia is unregulated growth of the white blood cells in our bone marrow. When these cells grow out of control, they can infiltrate different organs, such as the liver, the spleen, the lymph nodes, even the skin. So what happens in people with leukemia? How do you think these patients present So to answer that question, I'd like you to kind of think about the different cells that the bone marrow makes, red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. The problem in leukemia is that we are making too many white blood cells, but the white blood cells are cancerous, and so they're not maturing properly, and they don't work the way they're supposed to. So what happens when white blood cells don't work the way that they're supposed to? we are at risk of infections. And that's exactly what happens in leukemia. These patients can get infections. On the other side, their bone marrow is so infiltrated with white blood cells, they're not making the other types of cells they should be making. So there's not enough red blood cells or platelets. And so they, these patients can get the anemia and all the symptoms associated with anemia, as well as thrombocytopenia. So they are at risk of bleeding because they have low platelets. Now, how is leukemia diagnosed? What tests would you, would you think we get and what tests are abnormal? So an initial CBC, complete blood count, is most likely going to show a high level of white blood cells. Do you guys know what normal white blood cell count is? Anywhere from about four to 11,000. So really any higher than that, um, you know, it could be a sign of leukemia. Rarely in some of the chronic leukemias, you'll see low or even normal white blood cell count, but more often than not, it's going to be a really high white blood cell count. And not just the kind of high that you see in infections, like it's very common to see anywhere from like 12 to 20,000 maybe in infections, but these patients can have really absurdly high white blood cell counts. Um, In the hospital, I have seen someone with acute myeloid leukemia who had a white count as high as 117,000. And this patient, unfortunately, was very near death, um, but they can be very, very low, very high is what I'm trying to say. Um, And so in a CBC, you'll see high level of white blood cell, and you'll also see what we discussed earlier, which is anemia and thrombocytopenia. So low hemoglobin, low platelets. Now, that's a clue to leukemia, a CBC, but that's not the only way you're going to diagnose it. What else might you look at? So a peripheral blood smear can sometimes be helpful, and as we go through the different types of leukemia, we'll talk about what we expect to see on a smear. And then really the definitive diagnosis is going to be via biopsy. Uh, Usually a bone marrow biopsy is done. So now that we've kind of discussed what is leukemia, I'd like to ask you, how is leukemia categorized? So really it's categorized based on the cell lineage and then the chronicity. So what do I mean by that? 
Well, let's start with cell lineages. Do you guys know the two main types of cell lineages from bone marrow stem cells? So hematopoietic stem cells in the bone marrow will typically differentiate along two lineages, and those lineages are lymphoid versus myeloid. So what are myeloid cells? Myeloid cells are the cells that form cells of innate immunity. So a myeloid precursor will give rise to a myeloblast, and then those will differentiate and become basophils, neutrophils, eosinophils, monocytes, and macrophages. These are the cells of your innate immune system that first attack a pathogen when it enters the body. It's important to note that other cells along the myeloid lineage include megakaryocytes, which give rise to thrombocytes or platelets, as well as erythrocyte, which is, of course, the red blood cell, as well as mast cells. So myeloid is very, very broad, but when it comes to the immune system, they give rise to the cells of innate immunity. So think basophils, neutrophils, eosinophils, macrophages. Okay? Um, and then what are the lymphoid cells? What cells come from the lymphoid lineage? So these cells are lymphocytes and natural killer cells. So these are your T cells, B cells, and natural killer cells. So that is kind of the lineage. We, we categorize leukemia based on lymphoid leukemia as well as myeloid leukemia. And then how about chronicity? So each, the, the myeloid leukemias and the lymphoid leukemia can either be acute or chronic. Chronic leukemias tend to be cells that are older down the lineage, further down the lineage. So think of the differentiated cells like the B cells, the T cells, if you're thinking lymphoid, or the, the actual basophils, eosinophils, if you're thinking myeloid. So cells that are older and cells that are further along the lineage are seen in chronic leukemias. And then in acute leukemia, you tend to have the precursor cells. So think blasts, the cells that are younger along the lineage. Um, and the reason this is important is because these cancers behave differently. Um, and the chronicity, they also kind of correspond to the markers that you see on the cells. So there's different markers as, as cells differentiate along the lineages. And so the markers that are associated with precursor cells will tend to be seen in the acute leukemias, um, whereas the markers on mature cells are seen in the chronic leukemias. And then the presentations of patients in acute versus chronic leukemia vary as well. So acute is really, th think acute, like people can get sick fast and they can really die fast as well. Um, the chronic leukemias tend to be slower to progress and, you know, it can obviously still kill a patient, but they may present as asymptomatic at first. They may be indolent. People can live longer with chronic leukemias. They're not as, um, you know, they're, they're not as terrifying as the acute leukemias. So I'd like to start by talking about the lymphoid neoplasms, um, and we'll talk about acute and chronic. So let's start by talking about acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL as it is abbreviated. Who gets ALL? What kind of patients? If you're thinking children most commonly, that is absolutely the correct answer. ALL is typically seen in younger people, children, um, rarely like 
you can see it in teenagers, even younger adults. Um, if it does happen in adults, it tends to be a worse prognosis. And now remember this, remember that ALL is kind of the only one that's most commonly seen in children. And then the other three that we talk about are all usually seen in older adults, like adults in their 60s. And I will ask you this for each different cancer, who gets them? So just remember that ALL is seen in children and then all the other ones are typically seen in older adults. Do you guys know which genetic condition is associated with ALL sometimes? So trisomy 21, patients with Down syndrome can get ALL. Um, and that is something that I have seen pop up on practice questions. So keep that in mind. Do you guys know what you would see on a peripheral smear of someone with ALL? So it is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And so you would see lymphoblasts or the younger cells in the lymphoid lineage on peripheral smear. Exactly. And then any idea what markers these cells have? So this is where we kind of get into the molecular immunology. So TDT is a marker of both pre and pre-B and pre-T cells, um, and then CD10, which is a marker of pre-B cells. TDT and CD10 are both some of the markers that you might see um, on patients with ALL. And then is this disease treatable? It is. Uh, you know, all the leukemias have treatments that exist for them. It's generally treated with chemotherapy. For ALL specifically, it's typically a combination of different chemotherapeutic agents as well as steroids. Um, but remember, it is an acute cancer, an acute leukemia, and so these patients typically get very sick very fast and they often require hospitalization. Now, there is one genetic marker that's seen in patients with ALL that actually has a better prognosis. Any idea what that is? It's a special translocation of chromosomes. It's the translocation 1221. Um, for some reason, this, this genetic marker is associated with a better prognosis, better response to treatment. Now, what if on the exam they happen to describe a child with leukemia who also has a mediastinal mass? What might that mediastinal mass represent? So... This case is probably talking about a T-cell ALL. Um, most often they're B-cell, but a T-cell ALL would be associated with an enlarged mediastinal mass because that mass represents the thymus, which is where T-cells mature. So mediastinal mass in a patient with ALL, think T-cell ALL, that mass is the thymus, and then know that that mass can sometimes compress on the superior vena cava and cause kind of like an SVC syndrome type presentation. The most important takeaway that I want you to get from, from this talk on ALL is that ALL happens in children. And if you need a silly way to remember this, I think kids fall down. Fall has A-L-L and kids fall down. So kids get ALL. Let's move on now to chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Who would you expect to get chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL? Adults. Remember, ALL is the only one that happens mostly in kids, and all others typically happen in adults. Adults usually in their 60s or older than 60. CLL is actually the most common adult leukemia, so you'll see this pretty often in practice. 
some of the markers that we might expect to see, any idea what markers we would see on these cells? Well, usually we see B-cell neoplasms, and so we see the same markers that are associated with, with mature B-cells. So CD20, CD23, CD5. What would we see on a peripheral smear of CLL? So in CLL, the peripheral smear, we see something ca called a smudge cell, which literally looks like somebody took their thumb and smeared a lymphocyte and they smudged it. So um, just remember that you see smudge cells in CLL. Um, and I kind of just remember smudge cell and cell has the word CLL. So you see that in CLL. Um, so smudge cells, CLL. Now it is possible for CLL to undergo transformation. And when this happens, the cancer transforms from a leukemia to a lymphoma. And I know this episode is just about leukemia. We will have a special episode about lymphoma later. But usually when this happens, um, lymphoma can be, occurs on a grade. It can occur from low grade, which is more, you know, less, less scary, to high grade, which can be very, very aggressive and life-threatening. Usually when this transformation happens, it's going to transform into a high-grade aggressive lymphoma, such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. Do you guys know what it is called when this happens? So this is called a Richter transformation, and it happens when CLL or something called hairy cell leukemia transforms into a high-grade aggressive lymphoma. Do you guys know what hairy cell leukemia is? So this is a B cell tumor, and it's called hairy cell because when you look at it on a smear, the cells have these filamentous projections that kind of look like hair. Um, so that's why it's called hairy cell. Who gets hairy cell leukemia? If you're thinking adults, absolutely correct. It's usually adult males. Do you guys know some like diagnostic hallmarks of hairy cell leukemia? What would happen, say, if I were to tap the bone marrow of somebody with hairy cell leukemia? So hairy cell leukemia can actually cause fibrosis of the bone marrow. And so you get a dry tap on bone marrow aspiration. What does that mean? What is a dry tap on bone marrow aspiration? It just means failure to obtain any kind of bone marrow on aspiration. And you see this in any other conditions that cause fibrosis of the bone marrow. You try to go in and aspirate something from the bone marrow, but you, it fails because the bone marrow is fibrosed. Um, this can happen in other conditions such as myelofibrosis. So anything that causes fibrosis of the bone marrow and hairy cell leukemia does cause that. There is a special stain that these cells will stain positive with. Do you guys know what that's called? It was kind of an older way of diagnosing it. So uh, tartrate-resistant acid phosphatase, or TRAP is a name. Um, TRAP positive on stain. Now we kind of use flow cytometry, but I would remember for, for, like for my step exam, I remembered that I thought of the hair as a trap and TRAP positive for hairy cell leukemia. We do need to know the treatment for hairy cell leukemia. Do you know what two agents are used in the treatment of this? So there's two drugs I'm thinking of. One of them is called cladribine. This is an adenosine deaminase inhibitor. 
And the other drug is pentostatin, which is a purine analog. So cladribine and pentostatin um, are two drugs which are important to know because anytime a drug is good at treating something, we try to remember what it is. Um, and so cladribine, pentostatin are used to treat hairy cell leukemia. The most important takeaway for CLL is that it happens in older people, generally 60 plus. It is, you know, it can happen on a low grade to a high grade kind of scale. And anytime there's a transformation from low grade to high grade, what is that called again? That is called a Richter transformation. Let us move on now to the myeloid neoplasms. So let's start with acute, acute myelogenous leukemia or AML. Who gets these? Older adults. So think in their 60s. Anything except ALL is typically going to be an older adult and around age 60 is a good age to have in mind. What are risk factors for AML? So chemotherapeutic drugs, any kind of alkylating chemo agent, radiation can be a risk factor. And a key one is any myeloproliferative disorders. Because remember, acute myelogenous leukemia is the myeloid lineage. So what are some myeloproliferative disorders that come to mind that could be a risk factor for AML? Myelofibrosis, which we mentioned earlier, um, which presents just like hairy cell with a dry tap on bone marrow aspiration, as well as polycythemia vera. Um, remember polycythemia vera where patients have too many red blood cells? Um, any kind of myeloproliferative disorder can increase your risk for a myeloid cancer. And then Down syndrome is also um, a risk factor. So Down syndrome is a risk factor for both of the acute leukemias, acute lymph lymphoblastic leukemia as well as acute myelogenous leukemia. Now, how is this diagnosed? So if you're thinking biopsy, that's probably the right definitive answer. Um, but what is something that we might see on a peripheral smear? So acute myelogenous leukemia will have myeloblasts on the smear. And inside of the myeloblasts, you can actually see these structures called hour rods. Hour rods are these needle-shaped things in the cytoplasm of a peripheral smear. And they appear red. So they're, they're azurophilic granules um, that are seen in the cytoplasm of myeloblasts. And they basically represent an abnormal fusion of lysosomes um, in these abnormal cells. And so if you look on a smear, you can very clearly see um, these like needle-like shapes in the cytoplasm. And those represent hour rods. If you have not already familiarized yourself with what they look like, I would definitely look up a picture of the hour rods because um, this is something that I have seen come up a lot in practice questions, um, and I definitely think it's been a useful tool in figuring out that a patient has AML. So please look up a picture of hour rods and remember that they represent an abnormal fusion of lysosomes in the cytoplasm of myeloblasts. So they're just these thin needle-like structures, um, and they're pretty characteristic for AML. Now, there is a specific type of AML called acute promyeloblastic leukemia, abbreviated APL. Do you guys know what genetic translocation is seen in APL? 
the translocations are definitely really hard to remember, um, but this is the 15 to 17 chromosome translocation. And the reason it's important is because that translocation represents a specific fusion protein, and that fusion protein has a very specific treatment. Do you guys know what is used to treat a PL or acute promyeloblastic leukemia? If you are thinking vitamin A, great job. Um, the all-trans retinoic acid or vitamin A is used to treat APL. That is because that chromosomal translocation 1517 that I described corresponds to a PML RAR alpha, that stands for the retinoic acid receptor alpha subunit. It's a specific fusion protein that binds vitamin A and then that kind of actually decreases the production of blast cells in the bone marrow. It essentially causes the blast cells to differentiate, um, decreasing the number of blast cells in the bone marrow. And the only reason vitamin A works is because that translocation corresponds to a specific fusion protein that fuses the PML gene to a retinoic acid receptor. That is a lot of, I know that's very complicated, very molecular, um, but just remember that APL, or acute promyeloblastic leukemia, responds to vitamin A. Okay? And then finally, let's talk about the last type of leukemia, which is chronic myelogenous leukemia. Who gets CML? Older adults, very good. ALL is the only one that happens in children. All the other ones usually happen in older adults. This also, I think the median age is 64 or something like that, but CML can have a broader age spectrum and it can sometimes be seen in people as young as their 40s, as old as their 80s. Do you guys know um, like the diagnostic hallmark of CML? So CML is kind of defined by the presence of the Philadelphia chromosome, the T922. If you're going to remember a single translocation, I would remember the Philadelphia chromosome, which is translocation of 9 to 22. That is the BCR-ABL gene. And the reason this translocation is important is, again, because that gene enables it to have a targeted therapy. Now, in CML, uh, you basically get an abundance of all lines of the myeloid lineage, but you get the mature cells, so think neutrophils, myelocytes, basophils. And what is the treatment for CML? So remember, again, you have the BCR-ABL translocation, and so you can actually target that specific gene with targeted therapies. There are BCR-ABL tyrosine kinase inhibitors, um, the inhibitors are things that end in itinib, so think imatinib, desitinib. These are the kinds of tyrosine kinase inhibitors that we would use to treat CML because we can target that specific translocation. Now, I have one question for you guys. Well, I have a lot, but this is another one that I have. There are a lot of normal reasons, as we discussed, for our white count to be elevated, such as infection, um, anytime we have a reaction to anything, such as surgery. How do we differentiate a normal, what's called leukemoid reaction, or like a normal increase in our white blood count, from an abnormal leukocytosis that we see in cancer? Do you guys know what, what score we use? 
So there's something called the LAP score. LAP stands for leukocyte alkaline phosphatase. Um, and this is a specific enzyme that rises whenever a patient is having a normal leukemoid reaction because their, their leukocytes are working properly. So this enzyme, the leukocy leukocyte alkaline phosphatase, is going to work. And so if they're having a normal reaction where their white cells are working properly, the score will rise. So keeping that in mind, what is the LAP score for a patient with an infection who's having a normal leukemoid reaction to their pneumonia, let's say? The LAP score would be high. So if you have a high white count and you check the LAP score and it's high, that means that their white counts are reacting to something. Now, what would the LAP score be for a patient with CML? The score would be very low because their white cells are not working appropriately. And so this enzyme is not elevated because they're not actually reacting to anything. They're having the cancer is the reason that their white cells are out of control. And so in CML, the leukocyte alkaline phosphatase score is very low. Do you guys know what a normal score is for LAP? You're not really expected to know this, but it's about 20 to 100. Um, and they will give you this lab. If it does show up on the exam, they'll tell you what a normal count is. And you'll just be expected to know that if it's cancer, if it's CML per se, the LAP score is going to be very, very low. So just to kind of summarize, the major takeaway for CML is that it is associated with the Philadelphia chromosome T922, which is the BCR ABL gene. And then we can target that with specific tyrosine kinase inhibitors such as imatinib. That kind of sums up all four cancers that I wanted to talk about. Um, and I really just want to end this episode with some rapid fire questions reviewing everything that we've discussed so far. So again, this is the time that I encourage you to really try and answer the question to the best of your ability. Pause if you need to, and no pressure if you don't remember. That's what a review is for. So first question, what kind of leukemia is seen in children um, and is associated with Down syndrome? And then the T1221 translocation has a better prognosis. What leukemia am I thinking of? ALL, absolutely. Now, what if a child has a mediastinal mass and they have kind of an SVC compression-like syndrome? That's T-cell ALL. Very good. What if a chronic leukemia transforms into a high-grade lymphoma? What is that called? That is called a Richter transformation. What kind of leukemia would present with a dry tap on bone marrow aspiration? And if you did a peripheral smear, you'd see some filamentous projections on the cell. That is hairy cell leukemia. Very good. And what is the treatment for that? What two drugs did we discuss? So cladribine and pentostatin for hairy cell leukemia. Now, what if I did a peripheral smear and there were red needle-like inclusions in the cytoplasm? What are those inclusions called? If you see those needles in the cytoplasm, those are hour rods and those are seen in AML. What translocation did we say is present in APL? 
or acute promyelocytic leukemia. I'm sorry, promyeloblastic leukemia. What kind of translocation is there? It's the T15 to 17. And what is the treatment for APL? It's vitamin A. Remember, all transretinoic acid because it's that fusion protein with the retinoic acid receptor unit. What is the LAP score for a patient with CML? Very low because remember, their leukocytes are not working. So their LAP enzyme is not going to be working either. So their score will be very, very low. And what is the treatment for CML? The tyrosine kinase inhibitors, so imatinib, desatinib, because um, remember CML is the BCR-ABL translocation, the Philadelphia chromosome. If you guys survived that rapid fire in this entire episode, congratulations. Um, I know it was a lot to get through, but thank you so much for sticking with me. Um, I just want to conclude by emphasizing some key take-home points. That is that there are only four types of leukemia, and oftentimes in vignettes, I found that the presentation seemed very vague, um, but there are key details that stand out, such as the hour rods and A, um, AML, and those can really help you kind of get to the bottom of the diagnosis. Remember, there's only one leukemia that happens in children, and that is ALL, and remember that Acute leukemias tend to be scarier presentations. Chronic are more indolent. Um, patients might be asymptomatic. They can live a long time with chronic. The acute ones are really, really scary. So that is pretty much all I have. Thank you guys so, so much for listening to this first episode. It's the first one I've released in a while. Um, so I'm excited about that. Hope that you guys found it helpful. If you did find this episode helpful, please check out some of our older ones. Please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under this episode. And again, a plug, if you are a third or fourth year medical student and you've taken step one, please reach out if you're interested in recording an episode because um, I think it would be very useful for people to hear from students who have recently taken step one and know how things are asked. Um, if you're interested in recording an episode, please visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org um, and reach out to me via the contact page. For the rest of you guys, good luck with studying. Uh, I know that med school can be really grueling, really, really tough. If you ever have an SOS moment while studying, remember that Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.